Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Can you hear me on the phone? I do. I've got you coming out of every orifice. <laughs> I'm really not. You're breaking off quite badly. Hello, and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have two. My guest today is a headmistress. That conjures up tweeds and sensible shoes somewhere between Miss Marple and Miss Trunchbull. If that's so, think again. She's Catherine Burble Singh, mixed race, immigrant stock from the Caribbean, lots of mad hair and bright breezy clothes. She runs Michaela, the free school she founded in an abandoned office block in a tough inner city part of Brent in northwest London. The media usually call it the strictest school in Britain, but last year it got its first GCSE results and they were some of the best in the country. Now, Catherine, what do you think schools are for? Well, they're to educate children. And, and also socialize them, which is the controversial bit of what we do, I think. Um, so I think it's about making them into better human beings. And we do things like sing God Save the Queen and help them feel like they belong to their country. And uh, we believe in the whole child. You know, it's not just about exams. And, um, and I think those are the bits that uh, make us very controversial because... Um, I, I think schools perhaps have lost their way in that uh, in recent times. In fact, often I think people think schools are about radicalizing children and making them, when I say that, I don't mean making them into terrorists. I mean, making them into people who want to reject the establishment. And I'd rather make them into children, into people who are going to succeed in the establishment. What's gone wrong in education then? Well, um, well, it's kind of what I just said. Uh, People, people think that schools are about um, making children into rebels. And, um, and the thing is, is that I'm all for children, uh, oh, I don't know, rejecting the status quo, questioning what uh, the people on the top tell them. I mean, that's what I'm all about, questioning. Um, however, if you don't teach children lots of knowledge, 
they won't have much to think and be creative with. And what I mean by that is um, I could give you lots of opinions about education and, um, and, and, and you'd find me quite interesting on education. If you told, talk to me about astronomy, I wouldn't be able to tell you very much. And that's because I don't know much about astronomy. So schools are meant to be about teaching children. And um, that, uh, to, your view, to your listeners, they'll think, well, what do you mean? Obviously, that's what schools do. But that's not so obvious in 2020. Because, um, because schools, uh, because education sees itself as making children more radical so that they can reject what the orthodoxy tells them, uh, we think that that means um, trying to teach them to think for themselves, which of course is what you want to do. But if you just leave children in groups to teach themselves and to lead the learning themselves, then they're not actually going to learn anything. And in the end, you end up with a lot of children who don't know very much. Um, and that, that is sort of what's happening. It, that's the teaching side of things. Then there's the, there's the behavior side of things where behavior really is, I would say, very much out of control, generally speaking, across the sector. Our, our standards are far too low. Um, that's why they consider me to be very strict. I don't think I'm particularly strict. I just expect children to listen to adults. I expect children to be quiet when we've asked them to be quiet. Um, I've been in classrooms in my lifetime where, oh, you know, teachers are asking children to be silent. It takes them 10, 15 minutes to calm the class down. Um, that shouldn't be happening. That, I would say, is perfectly normal all over the sector. And um, people don't question it. Uh, I think the big irony is that the very people who talk about critical thinking skills don't use their own critical thinking skills to be critical of the education sector. Where did this madness start? Um, so, you know, it, it was, it's from a good place. It used to be the case. So all of you, especially you, Jeremy, um, I know reading your book, well, I know you've got many, but <laughs> when you're talking about school, um, you, you'll remember boring teachers and you'll remember teachers who stood at the front of the class and just droned on for ages and you were half asleep. And That's true. Yes. So the progressives come along and say, look, we can't have this. We need to break up the lesson a bit. And, and so they come up with three part lessons and four part lessons. And, and um, they say, we need to have more class discussion. And then they say, actually, what we need is more pair work. Oh, actually, what we need is group work. And then they have this idea. They look to the corporate world and they think, look at this. People lead themselves in the corporate world. They don't uh, get people. They don't get told what to do. They think of things themselves. And that's what we want children to do. Because in the corporate world, people don't just work on their own. They work in teams. They collaborate. And so we need to replicate this in the education system. So they put desks in groups instead of in rows to face the teacher. And um, they then get the children to get on with the work themselves. And that means that the teacher sort of becomes a facilitator of learning rather than a teacher. And he might move amongst the desks, keeping the children on task because it's the child who's leading their learning instead of the teacher. And the idea behind this is that, well, you're teaching the child to think for himself, but that isn't how learning takes place. What you need to do is teach them from the front of the class so the child learns lots of stuff. And somehow, just quite miraculously, I'd say, the child learns to develop their own opinions because they've got lots of knowledge. It's a fundamental misunderstanding about what enables a child to think independently and think creatively. It's only through giving them lots of knowledge that they'll get there. 
if on the other hand, you leave them to kind of invent the knowledge themselves, they simply won't be able to do it. And, uh, and that is just a fundamental misunderstanding. And now the progressives gave us a lot. They broke things down. They made it, they, they don't like the boring teacher standing up at the front and joining on. So I, I, th that was good. They've just gone too far. And, and, and some of us now, I do believe there's a real revolution in education at the moment, are pulling it back. And, um, and that's what we do at Michaela. And then with regard to behavior, so, and also with regard to teaching, it's, it's a general lack of, a, uh, of appreciation for somebody in authority. Somehow we've got to the point where we think if you're an, in authority, you're somehow Hitler. You know, you're, you're an authoritarian. You're somebody who wants to oppress children. So my detractors, for instance, say that I obviously hate children and I come in every morning at 6.30 a.m. because I hate them and I can't wait to go out there and tell them off and give them detentions because I have some sick fantasy about putting children in detention. I mean, that's what they think. Now, that's completely absurd, obviously. In fact, the hardest thing I have in doing in my job is trying to get my teachers to give detentions. Most teachers don't want to give detentions. In fact, I'd say that's the case for all of them. They'd rather just have a nice chat with the kids and just be nice all the time. The difficult thing of being a good parent and being a good teacher is holding children to account. That is hard. And that's what I have to make sure I encourage my teachers to do. And if you love children, you will hold them to account. It's what children need and what they want from us. And because we reject this notion of authority, because we're so uncomfortable with the idea of authoritarianism, and I get that sometimes authority can be abused. And clearly that's a bad thing. But that doesn't mean we, we, we need to reject authority altogether, because if we do, then we just have chaos. And that is what I would say exists in far too many of our schools. I'll be honest with you, Catherine. I have been in two schools in the last 30 years, and the most amazing thing I noticed on each occasion was that there was never silence. And I don't understand how any kids can learn anything. Yes, well, that's fascinating. And that's two schools. Well, I tell you, you should go and visit some more. And what I always say, and I hope one of these days you're going to come visit us, Jeremy. I know we've tried a couple of times, and it hasn't worked. I'll get there eventually. Yes. And, and what I tend to want to say to people when they come here is I always want to say, go and see another school first and then come and see us so that you can compare. Because otherwise you might just come and think that this is perfectly normal. And the thing is, it's not. We get over 600 visitors every year uh, and they're mainly teachers. And the teachers who come are absolutely amazed by what they see because they see silent corridors. Now, there are lots of people who hate me for these silent corridors. They think I must be some kind of um, tyrant because I want to have silent corridors. And they think, I get some kind of sick, twisted thrill out of this. I mean, as if, why, why would I care? Why do I put silent corridors? Because I have been in this game for over 20 years and I know what inner city schools are like. And when you don't have your corridors silent, you have kids' heads being bashed into walls, fights breaking out. The, 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 the nicest bit, bits of the corridors, well, the child might not get into a fight, but he's certainly late to his class. The children turn up at all sorts of different times. The teacher is not unable, when I said to you about it takes 10, 15 minutes to get the class started, that's why. Because so many different children are wandering in late. You finally get them silent. They're finally working. And then yeah. a child throws the door open, bang! And then that's the end of it. And they all start laughing. And what you just said about there never being silent, for some reason, we are terrified of silence. And we think, people accuse me of, of oppressing children because I ask them to be silent. I mean, th there's something very wrong with our, our modern culture when that's the case. And, um, and you're absolutely right. How are they meant to learn anything? So one, there's poor behavior. Um, and even in our better schools, there's low level disruption and lack of silence happening all of the time. 
And then two, we have poor teaching methods, poor expectations. Um, I remember I had an Ofsted inspector here once who was telling me how outrageous it was that I expected 100% of children to do their homework. And I was saying, well, obviously 100% of them, and he said, yes, but they're, they're always children who have a difficult home life. And if they have a difficult home life, you can't expect the same of them. And I said, well, that is the problem. You have low expectations of some children, and it's always the most disadvantaged. It's always the, the working class or the black kid or the kid with the single mom. And those are the ones you say, oh, well, we won't expect you to do your homework. Well, what happens when it comes to their GCSEs? They fail. And then we blame it on poverty, when in fact we should be blaming it on ourselves. Catherine, what do you do with a, with a child who comes from a family that can't afford to have a computer? Yes, well, I tell you, I have been ranting about this ever since the beginning of lockdown. Government spending millions on computers to give to the children because, oh my goodness, they're not going to be able to access their learning unless they get hold of these computers. Now, there is some truth to that. However, can I just ring some alarm bells here? The reason why they don't do their work is because of those computers. Because they sit on their iPads and their phones all day on Snapchat and Instagram. And if you look at their web history, you will see, I mean, literally on a weekday, well, this is during normal times, they're at school, they're out of school, say four o'clock, and yet they somehow managed to spend eight hours on their phones on Snapchat. Now, that is because they're not doing any homework, they just sat at home, and especially if they have families who aren't necessarily paying attention to what they're doing, and they're on there for hours. Some of them are going to bed at two, three in the morning. And Snapchat and Instagram are just poisonous, all of our issues in terms of bullying and that sort of thing always comes from social media. For those families who listen to my advice and don't give their children phones, they're never involved in any of the issues of bullying and so on because, well, they're just not, they, the girls aren't on Instagram uh, making themselves look like they're 18 and pouting out the lips and putting on loads of makeup and pushing out their bottoms and so on. They're, they're, not, they're not encouraged to behave in a way that is unbecoming, which is what Instagram and Snapchat do. And they're terrible things. And the big tech CEOs in California, they didn't give, they, they don't like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and all of the people, you know, we've never heard of, but who fly around in private jets, but thanks to the money that they make from selling these things to the, my kids, um, they don't give their children phones. And if they do, they don't give them any data. Um, and my parents don't realize that. And so then they give, they save up all their money and they give their children the phone and they destroy their lives. And it's the same thing with these computers. And the fact is too many schools use loads of computers and iPads all the time. I mean, look, we do a little bit of that, but we do very little because the best type of learning, it really is with a pen and a paper and, and a textbook. That, that is the best kind of learning you can do. A class discussion, a little bit of pair work, uh, lots of repetition, lots of practice. The kind of schooling that you did, Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, you're a really clever, knowledgeable guy. You got that way in part thanks to your school. Exactly. And you become a rebel by rebelling against it. You can't be taught to be a rebel. The thing is, you can't be a rebel unless you know lots about it. So I'm a rebel in education because I know education inside out. I'm frankly, I don't know. I'm sure there's all sorts of uh, people who question the 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 normal way of seeing astronomy. I couldn't tell you about it because I don't know anything about it. You know, and there's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes a rebel successful and what inspires a rebel. You only get inspired by, um, by knowing lots about that thing. And sadly in education, because, okay, so you've got the poor behavior. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. These are our pips at school. <laughs> it's a changeover of lessons. So they'll be wandering through the corridor and you speak in silence. Um, 
you know, the thing is, is that we, we lose the behavior. And the, so the kids are not engaged and they're messing around. And then the thinking goes, well, we have to, we have to get them engaged. So what we need to do is change our teaching style because they're not engaged, because they're not, they don't really, I mean, come on, French is boring, history's boring. That's the assumption. So what we need to do is let's do some French rap with them and they'll be able to engage with that because it's really fun. <laughs> and um, let's do, let's dress up as, you know, uh, medieval people. And then they'll be able to get, in, you know, they'll, they'll get with history. Now, what people don't understand is history and French are not boring. They're actually intrinsically really interesting. And if you teach children properly in an environment that is orderly, the children will naturally find those subjects interesting. Um, sadly, race also comes into this. So people say that a black boy couldn't possibly um, identify with the Anglo-Saxons or, you know, with Shakespeare. Oh, this is why you teach dead white men, is it? Yes. So that's why one of the things that we uh, strongly encourage. And the main thing is that they're dead. You know, it's not that they're white. People hear the white bit and they forget about the dead bit and or they hear the men bit, you know, and, and, and they miss the most important bit, which is that they're dead. And they have existed for hundreds of years. And there's a reason why we still read Shakespeare. Now, look, I'm not against black authors. I am a black author, but I don't think that my stuff should be taught instead of Shakespeare. Just like I don't think Stormzy should be taught in music instead of Mozart. There's a whole big campaign out there about how we need to be teaching more Stormzy. And as you know, with Black Lives Matter, the whole thing is about um, decolonizing the curriculum. Well, let's get rid of those dead white men is what they're saying. And I'm saying it's because they are dead that they are worth studying. And because, they have, because they're so good, they have existed over so much time since being dead. Now, if my stuff that I've written exists in 200 years, then by all means, make sure you include it in the curriculum. But the, 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 past, the test that you have to pass is, are you dead? And have you existed for a long time? <laughs> and people don't understand that. And they reject them because they're white and they're men. And that nowadays, uh, as you may know, Jeremy is, you know, unforgivable sin being born a, a, a white man. And, um, and so whether you're alive or dead, you need to be rejected. What do you think then when you see people like Keir Starmer virtue signalling by going down on the knee? Well, I'd roll my eyes, <laughs> as I do with everyone who puts a black box on Instagram. Um, you know, I mean, I roll my eyes. Having said that, I do uh, admire him for being a politician. Because the people who book black boxes on Instagram and are, you know, bankers in the city and just, I don't know what, in what way they're making the world a better place. I, I don't like them. I, that makes me annoyed uh, because I sort of think, well, give your time at a soup kitchen or give lots of money to charity or perhaps come and be a speaker at a school and talk about your life and how, you know, inspire some children if, if you really want to do good. Kirstama has is actually trying to do good because he is a politician and he's trying to give something back to his country. So I admire him for that. Getting on down on one knee is just, well, it's just a, as you say, it's virtue signaling. It's just a bit of a gimmick. And um, what I want to do is I want to see what he actually does. And I, he hasn't been around long enough for me to be able to judge him. Uh, I can judge the Labour Party and what they have to say about education. And I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan. Um, I, I wish that they would believe in, in ideas like uh, personal responsibility and holding children to account and, um, expecting the highest standards of them. And I don't, whenever I hear uh, people on the left talking about education, it's all about making excuses. Um, 
you know, recently at Oxford actually said, I mean, I don't know if they're going through with this, but they actually said because of Black Lives Matter, they said any black students at Oxford who wanted some dispensation with regard to their exams and the, you know, the, the expectations that they were having to meet, if they wanted perhaps the standards to be lowered for them because of George Floyd's death, that, that, they, should, that they should apply for that. I mean, I find this so grossly insulting. You know, it's obviously an tr absolute tragedy what happened to George Floyd. And, you know, I, I'm, I, like everyone else, am horrified by it. But I don't understand why students at Oxford University, why that should mean that they're unable to meet the standards that the university requires for everyone. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Well, you criticise going down on one knee, but yet you expect your, your students to stand up, presumably, when they sing the national anthem. Yes, that's absolutely right. And very good question. So they are children. We often mistake children for adults. And same with their, the, the teaching. So the point about the child leaving, leading their own learning and being in groups and so on, they don't really need their teacher. The teacher doesn't need to teach them. The teacher just needs to be a facilitator of learning. It's because we've misunderstood. They are not adults. So the corporates who do their collaborating and you know, present something as a team to some other team in the corporate world, they are adults and they are experts at what they do. Our children are not. And they depend on us to lead them. And they depend on um, uh, routines and structures and uh, a certain predictability. And so there needs to be a certain ceremony. When they, you're right, when they come in, when I walk into assembly, they stand for their headmistress and then they sit down. And um, the reason for that isn't because I get some kick out of them standing for me. Um, it's because it, I have a role to play. And so I waltz in there 
And I play that role of I am the headmistress and I am the Wizard of Oz. I always call myself the Wizard of Oz. I'm slightly mysterious. You don't know anything about what I'm going to do and, and when I'm going to appear and all this sort of thing. <laughs> and I, I play a certain role. And I play that role because it's important for them to have a, a good school experience. So when I'm outside of school and I want to run across the street um, and the red man is there, is there um, I don't do it. And you know why I don't do it? Because I would never want the children to see me crossing the street on the red man. It, that, that, would be, that would be so disruptive to their understanding of what is right and wrong. Um, now, if I'm, you know, in France, I will run across the street. <laughs> <laughs> because they're not there and it doesn't matter. Um, so we all have a role to play. Um, I'm not meant to be friends with the children. I'm meant to be their headmistress. And I, my role is to develop them into uh, successful adults. That isn't the case with Keir Starmer. You know, uh, going, we're all adults here. So him going down on one knee is not the same as my children standing for me at, uh, at assembly. Right. Do your kids also know other patriotic songs like Jerusalem or I Vow to Thee My Country, that sort of thing? In fact, they know those. They know all three. God Save the Queen, I've added to my country in Jerusalem. And we sing them regularly. Uh, we have a flag outside. And, um, you know, when the World Cup was happening, we had England flags everywhere. And I found out, you know, I don't know anything about football, but I found out everything I could so we could talk about, you know, England, did we win and so on. And um, the reason for that is that our children need to feel like they belong to their country. And... Um, the nation state has been rejected, sadly, by uh, too many people, I suppose those on the left. Uh, that's what, one of the things that I would be, I would accuse um, the Labour Party of, not uh, being, not recognising their country enough. And, um, and the problem with that is that everything then just descends into tribalism. Uh, and we look at what color of skin we are, we accuse people of being too white, we, um, we elevate blackness in a way that is unhelpful, I think. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't racism, there's lots of it in all sorts of ways, and um, on Twitter I'm constantly talking about it. I believe in institutionalized racism, I believe there, is, um, there are obstacles that my children will face that uh, the children at Eton do not face, for instance, and, that, that, that is a class thing, uh, but in some ways a race thing, although obviously there are black students at Eton as well. Um, there, there are many obstacles that lie in front of us, but the only thing you can do in life, as I say to children all the time, is that when that obstacle, you hit it, you fall down, you pick yourself up, you keep on going. That is what, that's what life's going to throw at you, and you've got to try and overcome them. And this business of uh, putting our hands out to government and saying, oh, no, no, but you're the one, you, you need to give me a step up. No, nobody needs to give you a step up in life. You just need to take control of your life. And, um, you know, it might not be fair, right? It, it, it might not be fair, uh, but that's life. That's how it is. And, and all you can do is grab life by the horns and, and run with it. How convenient a nationality do you think being British is? What do you mean? In comparison to what? Well, what I mean is that, that it's not traditionally been an elective identity. It has traditionally been the preserve of, of, of what we must now call dead white men. Uh, and it's an imperial history. It's a nationality that is founded on the red, white and blue. It's not founded on other colours. It's a, it's a 
diff different sort of identity to that which you get, for example, in the United States or in immigrant societies like, uh, I don't know, Australia or Canada? Well, I don't agree with you. I mean, there have been black people in Britain since Roman times. There, um, no, not very many of them, but um, there have been. Uh, in Tudor times, there was um, uh, a trumpeter to King Henry VIII called John Blank, yeah. who was an English black man, you know, and he was English, which I find really interesting because, you know, I think lots of black people nowadays would only identify as British as opposed to English. You know, the fact is that you can be both English and British and not be white, and that's always been the case. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, I, I, I think that our children, uh, when I say our children, I mean most of our children are ethnic minority here, and I mean we have a number of, of Eastern Europeans as well, but the fact is that they are denied that right that they ought to have, which is to be British. Um, and they're denied it mainly by those on the left um, because the left are so ashamed of their own country that uh, they've rejected the notion of the nation state. And then they take away that right from my children. And the thing is they underestimate, you see, it's one thing if you feel that you are British because you're, you're white, let's say, you are British, you grow up in some fancy home and whatever, let's say, uh, and you, um, you then decide to reject your Britishness later. That's fine because you belonged in the first place and you were made stronger for it. And what those people don't realize is that they underestimate the, the strength of, of that belonging and how it empowered them. And then they make it so that my children don't ever feel like they belong, not just because of schools, but the media, everything around us tells us that we're not British. And, um, and that makes you very insecure as a person. I mean, I know this personally because I grew up, my parents from the Caribbean, uh, my father's Indian Guyanese, my mother's black Jamaican. Um, I was born in New Zealand. I grew up for the most part in Canada, but I spent a year in France and a year in Nigeria. And then um, I came to England at the age of 15. I've been here ever since. I've done lots of traveling in between. And I never really ever felt like I belonged anywhere. Um, I didn't feel Canadian growing up. Um, I, I don't feel West Indian. I mean, I, I spent lots of time in Jamaica and Guyana, you know, and I, I eat rice and peas and jerk chicken, but I, I, I you know, I, I didn't grow up in the West Indies. And, um, and when Britain, when we were, when England was playing um, uh, in the World Cup, I think it was 2002 in, um, in Osaka, in Japan, and I was at school and we were, um, I was in the staff room working and it was early morning, I think. I think it was the, the time change and all the guys, all the male teachers, some of the female teachers too, but mainly the male teachers had gone off into the gym to watch um, the, the match. I think we were playing Nigeria maybe, I can't remember. Anyway, um, and when they came back, I looked up and I said, did we win? And that, and I'll rem I remember this because I said we, and, and, and it, it had changed for me at some point. And I'd been in, in, in England for about 12, 13 years at that point. Uh, somehow I had become British and that was just over time. And I belonged. I belonged to this country. And um, up until then, I probably would have just called myself a Londoner. I would still call myself a Londoner, but I call myself British. And I 
I'm grateful to Britain for giving me my identity and for giving me a sense of belonging. And that's something that all of our children here in Britain should feel and we should celebrate and we don't. And then that means that people are then reduced to tribalism and looking to their color of their skin to belong. Why is it that boys join gangs? Because it's a family. It gives them a sense of belonging. And if their father hasn't been around and if they haven't had uh, a family, a family, the nuclear family, and then the family of their school, and then there's the family of your country, and you should be able to belong to all of these. If, if the boy doesn't have that, he's going to have to find it somewhere else because it's a natural human desire and instinct. And if it is not satisfied, we will try and find it elsewhere. Now, I say this all the time, you know, and people, people say, how do we reduce, oh my goodness, sorry, it's the pips again, the kids are changing, <laughs> moving. Um, you know, uh, if, if, if children, if people say, how do we reduce knife crime? What do we do? What's the solution? And I say, sing God Save the Queen. And people say, oh yes, we'll sing ourselves out of knife crime. But that really is the solution, making sure our children belong. The solution to all of this stuff with regard to Black Lives Matter and so on, it's through education and it's through our schools. But people aren't interested in education. It's not a vote winner. Nobody cares. And so I keep banging my drum and I'll do it till the day I die. And I hope one day somebody's going to listen. <laughs> so you are still talking to white people about race. Yes. So that's in our book. We, well, I say that's in our book. We have a, one of my teachers, black teachers, wrote a chapter called Why I'm Still Talking to White People About Race. I tried to read that book and, um, and really struggled and did not manage to finish it because I was so offended by most of what was in there. <laughs> it's just so awful to set race up against race, you know, and that, that's where we're, we've got to as a, as a society. Like I say, because I think we have rejected the nation state and we, we don't recognize the nation state has values um, like... Um, we believe in the rule of law. We believe in democracy. We believe in gay people having the right to, to live their lives and be free to do so. There are many countries in this world where that is not the case. So uh, we don't believe in tribalism, or at least we shouldn't. And we are reducing ourselves now to that state um, because of our rejection of the nation state. And, um, and because of the white guilt that, um, uh, has everyone reading that book, for instance, and books like White Fragility and so on, which really are so harmful. Uh, our humanity, you know, we say a black boy cannot um, identify with Shakespeare. The fact is he can, because Shakespeare speaks to the human condition, jealousy and rage and anger and joy and love and, and forgiveness and all of that, which all human beings take part in, whatever color we are. And that is why any child, whatever his color, should, will love Shakespeare if you open him up to it. They don't have to just read black authors because they're black. And it's this, these identity politics which divide us because we view the person, first of all, by their race. And that ultimately is racist. That's what it is to be racist. It is to judge somebody by the color of their skin and not to see the humanity underneath that we all share. And that is, you know, education is affected by that just as much as the whole of society is. And um, it, it's hard for an individual school to fight that because we are submersed in that culture in, in our society. Our book, which is called The Power of Culture, which has just come out, um, is all about that. It's about culture and it's about um, 
creating a culture in a school, but in any organization, where people can work as a team, where people can trust each other and, and, and move forward with a goal of success. But you can only do that if you see each, other as, each other's humanity. But all this talk about Black Lives Matters, all this talk about the oppression of the black community by the whites, by the police, by government, by institutions of the state, how do you deal with all of that? They must be your kids are exposed to that just as much as anybody else. Yes, and um, obviously you discuss issues as they come along. Um, what you don't do is what we shouldn't do, uh, and I think it happens far too often is uh, beat up white people. So I see what's happening at the moment is that uh, schools are sending home work for children, white children and they're asking their parents to get the white children to interrogate their whiteness. Um, I think that's wrong. I think it, we have come so far as a country, the children at school, it, racism is, is not tolerated. If anyone was ever racist in school, the children would be, would they, I mean, there would be an outcry. Um, now, talking about the kinds of obstacles that might be out there for them, well, we've always spoken about that. I'll give assemblies. Uh, I often use, um, various uh, black successful people, people like Serena Williams, um, to say, look, look at her and look at what she's managed to do, uh, to inspire them, to show them that whatever obstacles there are in front of them, that they can overcome them. What we mustn't do is encourage victimhood, uh, which I think the current narrative often does. Uh, because if a child sees, sees himself as a victim and sees the establishment as being against him, then he will just give up. Um, and then what happens is people then blame poverty or they blame his race and they say, well, you know, he's a poor black boy. He couldn't possibly have ever succeeded. That isn't true. Um, and I ha I, we do umpteen examples at assembly of various different black people who have succeeded uh, so that they can see themselves in a position of success. We get in outside speakers and I'm always looking for, um, and in fact, if any of your uh, listeners uh, want to come and speak at our school, they must get in touch. I'm always thrilled when I get a, a black or an ethnic minority speaker who can come in and talk about being a lawyer or a doctor and so on, because it is good for the children to see themselves, you know, when I see them say see themselves, see people who look like them succeeding. Uh, there is some truth in that. Um, and so we do that. But what we don't do is uh, sit around saying, gosh, isn't the world racist? Life is going to be really hard. Because that means one just gives up. And, you know, how much racism there is? Well, I'm no expert. Look, sure, there's racism, but, you know, so what? I mean, it's an obstacle. You've got to get over it. Otherwise, when you are 95, you're going to look back at your life and you're going to say, well, I was black, so I couldn't possibly have lived a successful life. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, what you want to do, it, what I'm going to do, I'm determined that when I'm 95 and I look back, I'm going to be able to say I contributed. I'm going to say I made a difference to the world. And so we teach our children about personal responsibility, about duty to other people, about an obligation to society, about trying to give back so that you can look back and say, I did something that was worthwhile. And um, whatever color you are. And yes, racism exists, but so what? Right? <laughs> What are you going to do about it? <laughs> or what, well, I'll tell you what you're going to do about it. You're going to work hard. You're, you're, you're going to do amazing things. You're going to be aware of the world and be aware that there is racism so you know how to negotiate your way through it. But what you are going to do is sit down and say, well, it's too hard. I can't do it. And too many children 
whatever reasons they might have, um, and it could be lots of reasons. Children have a hard time at home. Remember I said about that Ofsted inspector um, who said, well, you can't possibly expect homework from all the children. Too many teachers do that, which is that they expect less from certain children than they do from other children. And then those children you expect less from obviously produce less and then don't have the same chances at life to be able to change their stars. And you asked me at the beginning what it is that schools are for. It is to enable children to be able to change their stars and make the most out of life. It's to give them equality of opportunity. And that is what we are about at Michaela. Catherine, it's been inspiring talking to you, but I want to ask you one other question. What has made you saddest at your school? Saddest? Um, yes. Peter Hitchens, the journalist, once came to our school and yeah. he, he thought our school was doing, you know, was, was a terrible place. And he came only because I demanded that he should come. And he came and he was convinced by what he saw. And he, he thought it was, a, it was a wonderful place. And he said to me that we are a uh, fire burning underwater. He said, you know, it's all very well you doing this stuff, Catherine, but um, you won't survive. Um, and you won't survive because the whole of society's values nowadays in 2020 are against uh, what you do at, here at Michaela. And, um, and you, won't, you won't be able to make it. And I've made it my business to try and prove him wrong. Um, however, what makes me saddest is that I do feel as if we're in this, uh, you know, we're this, we're this fire burning. And there's always water coming in and the water is constantly pouring in from the media, from our detractors, from uh, the nonsense that goes out there that uh, teaches my children to do the wrong things. And um, I am constantly trying to shut that water out. And it's all I do. Uh, and I wish that uh, that's what makes me saddest is that my time is spent trying to shut the water out. Um, and I, and I wish I could spend more of it with the children because I can't spend it with the children because I'm fighting a much bigger war uh, uh, out in society and, and trying to keep us, keep us, we're, we're, we're like a little, we're like a little island here and it's a wonderful place to be. Um, but in my job, it just make in my job is just so hard trying to keep the outside world shut out from what we do in here. Well, good luck to you. There are more people support you than you perhaps realise. Congratulations to you. Good luck. Thank you. Catherine Burble Singh, gloriously sensible woman who not only believes in freedom of opportunity but does something about it. On the sadly fictional pub stool with me next week is James Rebanks, a farmer from Cumbria with strong views about the English countryside. What is it for? He's got plenty to say, well worth a listen, if that subject is remotely interesting to you. Until then, stay safe. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.